your social credit score will start off as a medical score or a medical passport and then it could easily, easily slide into a social justice credit scoring system. everyone. I am Ian Kay, and joining me is Dr. Michael Rechtenwald. God, I hope I didn't butcher that. <laughs> no, that's good. Rechtenwald. Um, so you have been talking about The Great Reset. You've written several articles, uh, which I have read all of them. And um, I've been doing content for Unsafe Space talking about The Great Reset. And um, so here we are. Um, so tell, tell the audience about yourself. Uh, well, yeah, I'm a former NYU professor. I uh, was a professor for 11 years there and 14 years elsewhere, Duke and Carnegie Mellon, Case Western, etc. cetera. Uh, yeah, uh, I've written a, a lot of books, I guess, uh, four in the last two years. And uh, the most recent is Thought Criminal, which is a novel. And... Uh, before that, Beyond Woke on Google Archipelago and Springtime for Snowflakes. Uh, that's what I've written since my academic career, uh, since it ended in January 2019. And, uh, yeah, I've been writing for the Mises Institute uh, and uh, doing a lot of public speaking. And, uh, yeah, um, I pretty prolific in terms of articles. I'm putting out articles pretty often. Everything can be found on my website at michaelrechtenwald.com. So how did you find out about The Great Reset? Um, well, I think actually, strangely enough and uh, embarrassingly, I guess, through InfoWars, I think, was the first place I saw any mention of it. And uh, I thought, you know, well, let's let's put this on the back burner and see if there's anything to it later. And then um, I saw several other articles. And then, of course, uh, when uh, Klaus Schwab uh, wrote COVID-19, The Great Reset, that got my attention. Uh, and I read that. And uh, then The Fourth Industrial Revolution, which came out earlier, but I read it later. Uh, and uh, then, of course, paying attention to the World Economic Forum's website and uh, their their uh, meeting last year, which was called the Great Reset, um, and uh, basically just got very concerned. And then I saw the connections between uh, the Great Reset and some of my own theories about what's afoot politically and economically. And uh, then I decided to jump in on it because it seemed to me to be right up in term, right in the uh, wheelhouse of what I was writing about in terms of uh, the establishment of uh, this kind of neo-feudalism that I see afoot. Yeah, I find this whole thing to be very interesting. Uh, I discovered it last year uh, from a YouTuber named Dave Cullen who covered a Hill article, which I ended up covering on my channel uh, back in July. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it, it just, um, it's kind of frightening, right? I mean, growing up, uh, you know, being in my twenties and the nineties, I'd, I'd hear people like Tex Mars talking about the, you know, new world order and all this stuff. And it just kind of made fun of all this 
stuff that seemed like nonsense, right? I mean, you know, the internet wasn't widely used at the time, but there was all these books on it. You know, they talked about uh, obviously the UN, uh, the Trilateral Commission, all these other kind of like globalist organizations. And it, it all seemed like a bunch of nonsense, but it's different when you actually see something like the World Economic Forum actually telling you what they're going to do. And then you're like, maybe they were on something. Yeah, definitely. And sir, certainly when you consider all the corporate partners they have enlisted, uh, which is like every major corporation in the world, basically, um, they're all on board. So you start to pay attention. And then when you hear uh, people in their campaign speeches and their slogans mm -hmm. and so forth, using the same language you have to take take note yeah you, you do and it, it's funny because i know that you've mentioned the uh new york times article where they kind of you know oh saying oh this is just nothing more than a right-wing conspiracy even though they're laying it right out there right on the world economic forums website you can go and read about the great reset right there exactly and then time magazine ran a whole issue devoted to it soon after yeah. the new york times piece appeared and basically in praise of the whole project. Uh, so, yeah, this is not a conspiracy at all. It's a uh, conspiracy. By definition, a conspiracy would be clandestine. This is wide open, yeah. uh, wide open plan. And um, I think the reason the Times, New York Times tries to um, disavow it is because they think that the agenda is actually great. <laughs> it's it's a wonderful thing. So it's a it's a conspiracy to think that it's nefarious. I think is really what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. So what what is the goal? You know, what's the end game of the Great Reset? Well, I think it is this neo feudalistic order um, that is a kind of two tiered system with uh, corporate oligarchs on top. Uh, with a very limited palette of corporations permitted to produce and distribute goods, and uh, the kind of the bottom with a kind of actually existing socialism on the bottom, with a population that's effectively beholden to these corporate players, and uh, then basically having their consumption limited by virtue of the direction of production to these particular corporate approved corporate players. And so I think that it, it, it represents the kind of um, what I've called corporate socialism. And I distinguish that from the sort of the use by democratic socialists or mm -hmm. left who basically refer to that as kind of corporate bailouts. I'm talking about monopolies or near monopolies running the economy and effectively instituting a kind of a state, a new state, which is um, – uh, takes a lot of power and uh, self-determination away from the masses and places it in, into the, what I'll call the elite, because they're the ones who are allowed to uh, to produce, that are allowed to um, to have, uh, th that, are, that are controlling opinion, mm -hmm. that are um, distributing almost all the goods. Uh, and uh, so I call them elite because they are, accepted players and they're all billionaire they're in the billionaire class for the most part so if that is an elite i don't know what is <laughs> yeah absolutely and one of the things that I, I thought was really funny is that uh when uh the world economic forum had their meeting in davos uh back in january they released this video 
where they kind of lay out all these talking points. And one of them was the idea of the, you know, world's largest transfer wealth to these big companies, but yet they're in bed with these companies. And this is a issue that for the most part, governments have invented through these lockdowns. We wouldn't need all these stimulus checks right now if they just kept the economy going and we'd, we'd be fine. Exactly. The lockdowns have contributed to this and, Schwab even has noted in in the COVID-19, the Great Reset, he said it was an opportunity to be seized upon in order to bring the reset about. Mm -hmm. That tells me that what happened during the lockdowns, what's happened during the lockdowns is in line with the Great Reset. If if the COVID crisis is helping bring about the reset, then what's happened in in the lockdowns must be part and uh, quite in line with, or if not part and parcel of the reset itself, which is the destruction of small businesses, um, some 50% or more of American small businesses wiped out. This massive transfer of wealth, according to uh, what I've read, 20%, the corporate oligarchs, Amazon, uh, Walmart, etc., cetera, ha- Apple, have seen a 20% uh, uh, rise in their net worth, and this is the oligarchs that control them, like Bezos and so forth. Mm-hmm. They've they've gotten a twenty percent uh, hike in their uh, net worth over the last year, and starting from billions to begin with, we're talking about multiple billions of dollars that would have gone to other places, that mm-hmm. would have gone to other businesses, transferred to Amazon, etc. So this is an enormous wealth shift. And of yeah. course it also involves an enormous abrogation of rights. Um, not only have we been locked down, we have been basically, we've lost our freedom of motion and movement and association and uh, religion and uh, speech vis-a-vis the big tech and uh, oligarchs controlling our, our expression. So, you know, this is quite a, shift in power from uh, from the majority to this small minority of producers and controllers of the economy and the political sphere is pretty enormous. How long do you think this has been going on? Because it, it seems like, to me, they, they tried to use the swine flu, uh, I want to say pandemic that happened i want to say it was in 2008 2009 right around there but it never really kind of panned out and um, it seems like they've this has been in play for quite some time and we're really seeing it gain traction more recently yeah i think Schwab has been trying to get this reset going for decades uh and um climate change of course is the main pretext uh so they've been using climate change as the pretext for this so it's been a propaganda campaign for decades, and I'd say that it's now been put into effect. It's starting to be put into effect in the last couple of years, probably the last year for the most part, more, more intensely. So it's been going on for a while uh, in terms of a propaganda and PR campaign, but it's really accelerated as of late. So we're looking at a real acceleration in terms of the uh, precepts of the reset being uh, instituted. Yeah, and it, it seems like the whole thing with the lockdowns—they were not meant to end. Uh, of course, they're using COVID as the reasoning 
But now mm-hmm. with the success of these lockdowns, it seems like they can be using them for the environment. I mean, oh, look at this. The, the earth is healing itself because of these lockdowns. Therefore, we should continue to do them. That way we can get rid of uh, you know global warming or whatnot. Yeah, Schwab's even said that. Look at how much better the environment is since the lockdowns have been instituted. He's tweeted about it. He said it verbally elsewhere. He's basically saying that, you know, the lockdowns have uh, done a great deal of good for the environment and uh, they are doing the work that the resetters want done. <laughs> that's um, that's absolutely insane. I mean, with um, how, how do they expect all this work? I, I I, I know you talked about it. I, I've seen a lot of their videos. Uh, I, I read the the blog post about uh, what the what the cities could look like in uh, 2030. And, you right. know, you own nothing, not even your own clothing. And that yeah. just seems like a, a recipe for disaster. I, I'm here in Texas and we got hit by that winter storm. And it just seems some, like something like that, if you're not prepared, would largely disrupt the system of automation. And a, a lot of people could lose their lives. We already saw people lose their lives out of desperation here in Texas because people were trying to stay warm and they you know, died of carbon monoxide poisoning or accidentally lit their house on fire because they brought their grill inside. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think that the... Well, some would say, and I'm not one of them yet, that that the reduction of the population is part of the plan. Yeah. Uh, that there's a eugenic element to this. Um, I haven't gone to that, into that quite yet, and I'm sure that I will because it's quite that's quite controversial um, and could be wrong. I don't want to be wrong about that. But there are many who claim that eugenics and population decrease population control is a big part of this uh, project. Um, it sure seems like it is. It, it does seem like it is. And um, if the vaccine or one of them or both is problematic for reproduction, then there's something to that. Uh, I, I would recommend anybody that has uh, any interest in maintaining their reproductive capacities not to take the vaccine because it's possible that it will interrupt reproductive potential. Wow. Um, that's really frightening. And I, I, I believe there's actually a TV series that kind of deals with very similar themes. I think it's called Utopia. Uh, it's I think it was a British TV show. And then they redid it here in America. But it seems pretty spot on where there's like this uh, outbreak and they create this vaccine and the vaccine is actually sterilizing people. Yes. Exactly. And so then there have been warnings issued about the vaccine having having an effect on reproductive uh, capabilities. Uh, And I wouldn't put it past anything. I mean, I'm not saying it was necessarily intentional, but I wouldn't put it past this vaccine for having that kind of uh, that kind of effect. And uh, I mean, I wouldn't mess with it at all because. First of all, it's it's likely to create variants uh, by virtue of the fact that it's a very weak anti antiviral uh, vaccine, and it lo- it allows variants to be produced in the very subjects who receive the vaccine, who then will spread these variants to other people. So, <laughs> the vaccine is a real problem in my book, uh, and I wouldn't touch it. Uh, but, of course, the problem is going to be whether vaccine or medical passports become required to basically engage in any kind of normal living 
So uh, even going to a grocery store might be might be impossible unless you can prove you either have taken the vaccine or you don't have COVID. At some point, it may be that you have to take the vaccine regardless whether you've had COVID or not. This um, sounds completely insane. And how can they get away with implementing this stuff in America? Well, they've been doing it one sort of one step at a time. I guess the frog is boiling at one degree at a time. Mm-hmm. So they have, you know, I think that the the lockdowns were a good start for this because they, it, it just, we've seen our, our rights abrogated one step at a time. And so it's, it's like once you start losing rights and, and, and it becomes acceptable to some people, at least it seems to me to be a majority that accept it, then it's normalized. And then this normalization has then increased. Mm-hmm. And so the, they, uh, you know, keep increasing this idea of uh, that you really don't have rights and that you really should forego them and uh, that you are, you're selfish or you're some sort of antisocial person if you don't forego your rights um, and that rights are not important. What's, what matters is the collective good. And, uh, you know, Schwab, if you've read or listened, I'm sure, and I know you have, he uses the words collective, collaborative, mm-hmm. endlessly. Everything is about the collective. So everything, anytime people are starting to talk about the collective good, this is this is a sure sign of totalitarianism. This is exactly the kind of language which used in the Soviet Union and China and has been used by any leftist totalitarians in history every, every time. Like, <laughs> Collective good should, that phrase should alarm you to no end. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it doesn't seem like it's a, um, a very large step from going from wearing masks to having some sort of digital passport in order to go and uh, go to your grocery store. Because uh, here in Texas, I know that we've uh, basically rescinded our, our mask order. But in, uh, in the city I live in, they can't fine you for not wearing a mask but they can find the business if, if they don't uh, require you to wear a mask. So there, I, I see a lot of this enforcement being done by actual businesses rather than through governments because of the pressure that these governments can put on businesses. Yes. I've been saying this for some time that these, what they're doing is deputizing corporations and businesses to act as appendages of the state. Uh, this is I call this governmentalities. This is a term that I adopted and adapted from Michel Foucault, who talked about this term governmentalities, he, he actually coined the term to refer to the way people adopt the governmental decrees and effectively govern themselves. Well, I think it's also, uh, it can be applied to the way corporate players are being deputized to be agents of the state. And in effect, so are individuals being deputized to be agents of the state. And first of all, they're they're in, they're in, they're enacting these these precepts against themselves or on themselves, and they're also helping to enforce state desideratum or desiderata by enforcing it on others. You know, the the basic idea here is all the uh, all the Karens running around screaming at you if you don't have a mask on, yeah. and so on and so forth. So these are like deputized state agents. Uh, so the state is well. Be- See, I I have a little difference here with 
strict libertarian thought, I think the state is much bigger than the government. I think the state is extends well into the corporate world and into the private realm as well, into the individual citizen, into the individual subject. They become state apparatuses. I, I completely agree with you. I think one of the greatest weaknesses of libertarianism as a libertarian is libertarianism. The The argument of it's a private company doing these things, they should be allowed to do it, is not a good defense. No. I, I think it's a, it's a terrible idea to, you know, the, the fact that these you know, companies like Twitter, Facebook, and even YouTube are banning people because they don't like what they're saying. That's uh, that's so dangerous. But the defense is, ah, oh, it's a private company. They can they can do what they want. Yeah. Meanwhile, they've gotten tremendous advantages from the state. They have been, you know, given the regulations that they need to do this. They have been given the leeway. Also, they got startup money from from the gov- federal mm-hmm. government. In the case of Google and Facebook, both of these uh, major corporations, they got startup funding from the intelligence community. Yeah. Either directly or indirectly. So they are state apparatuses, in my opinion, uh, all of them. And so you're dealing with the state and they have then the they have the um, alibi that they're private corporations mm-hmm. at the same so they get away with restricting speech. They don't have to accord you First Amendment rights. And this is very tricky. Uh, and um, the libertarians have fallen for it and said, you know, well, they're private companies that, you know, I don't have to let you into my house and you can say whatever you want. It's, it's the same same principle, except that they are the house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's no other house. And so basically they have circumscribed the public square and um, made it basically irrelevant to speak anywhere else. You know, you look like a lunatic if you're standing out on a box, soapbox in a park. Um, so these kinds of speech don't are meaningless and you don't reach anyone that way. The, the digital sphere is the only place that's meaningful where speech can be uh, effective, efficacious. So, yeah, they've managed to... P- privatize their spaces while being deputized as state agents to enforce these draconian rules of language and uh, opinion and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it's very, it's a very pernicious development. One of the things I've been talking about, not as much as I probably should, uh, but I did a couple of years ago was about the social credit system that is being implemented mm-hmm. in China. Right. And obviously Uh, We have allegedly have free speech here in the United States, but it seems like the easiest way to implement a social credit system here in the States would be through companies and not through the government. Based off of what you said, I I think that's very much very viable. Well, they're yes, they're first of all, they're doing it. uh, Companies themselves are now being subjected to a social uh, social credit score system. And that is through the environmental, social and governance scores. Uh, there's a there's an environmental, uh, social, and governance in, uh, index that companies are being subjected to, so that if they're not environmentally, socially, uh, and that means social justice, socially and governance-wise, if they're not acceptable, then investments are being directed away from them. So they're squeeze they're squeezing out in uh, dollars from investments from those corporations that don't abide by this ESG scoring index. And this is being done through major asset managers like BlackRock Inc., which is the largest asset manager in the world, 
and Larry Fink, appropriately named, is uh, sent a, a letter in 20, a 2021 letter to CEOs admonishing them and strongly encouraging, if not threatening them, by virtue of suggesting that if their ESG scores are not high, then they won't be seeing any investments from his firm. And this is the largest investment firm in the, in the world. So that's already corporations have social uh, credit scores. <laughs> that is insane. And then now individuals could get, in, you know, the social credit scoring is likely going to come vis-a-vis the virus uh, mandates so that your social credit score will start off as a, a medical score or a medical passport. And then it could easily, easily slide into a social justice credit scoring system so that um, you'll have a score that indicates just how woke you are in effect. This, uh, this sounds very Black Mirror. Yeah, it's very Black Mirror. <laughs> so if you're deemed antisocial on the COVID uh, crisis uh, index, you know, this could slide over into other things. In fact, I think... The branch Covidians is what I call the COVID cultists and the Woketopians are the same people. And uh, this is part and parcel of the same totalitarianism to adopt wokeness and to adopt the COVID crisis, proper COVID crisis mentality. These are two things that are effectively intricately and inextricably wed, in my opinion. How do we you know, push back against that. I mean, it, it seems like, um, and I, I, and I'll circle back towards the end about this as well, but how do we push back against social credit systems like this? I mean, when, when it's, I, I, I've seen a lot of this wokeness in infesting, obviously the government, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's making its way into HR departments. I see it at the company I work for and with, uh, <laughs> Basically, short of saying, screw you guys, I'm out of here. How, how do we push back against the stuff, making its way in companies and whatnot? Yeah, the social credit scores. Um, yeah. I think we have to fight it legally and uh, rhetorically. Uh, legally, we have, to, we have to use the Constitution or what's left of it uh, to show how these, these, these scores would be an infringement of our constitutional rights. And then... Uh, we have to flout the demands if, as much as possible. I saw a hopeful sign of that today. Uh, St. Patrick's Day celebrations are going on right around where I live here. I live in a kind of college hub. And the students are out in mass without masks on. Oh, that's love, good. Yeah, that's a great sign. I was very, very much, it was very refreshing to see masses of students, uh, you know, um, congregating in house parties and elsewhere in the streets without masks and they're completely dis but whereas when I see them around the university itself they're masked up to the T um, because the opprobrium that attaches with, to being masked free is so intense that you know it takes quite a rugged individual uh, to uh, flout it uh, so I think but we do have to we do have to um, we're going to need to start thinking about civil disobedience in this country and what it means and how to enact it. We're, we're going to have to start to find ways to exert and to be civilly disobedient. Um, and, you know, of course, I'm invoking Thoreau here, uh, but civil disobedience is going to be a major 
uh, it's going to be a major aspect of how we how we fight back against this. I, I agree. Uh, the issue I, I think that we're going to face with that is, you know, when things are done for social justice causes or causes on the left, like we saw last year with the uh, the Floyd riots, it's going to be mostly peaceful protests. And when we see things that happen, like on January 6th, it's going to be dubbed an insurrection and white supremacy. Right. right. And, and we have the media machine basically spinning what is good and what is bad at this point. Yeah, they're they're total propagandists and, um, you know, they're vilifying anything that is resistant to woketopia and COVID COVID uh, COVIDian uh, precepts. So uh, that is something that we're going to have to fight. We're going to have to fight it in the public square as much as possible by just reasserting our our value and values and. Basically, we're going to have to have it out with people on uh, not not physically. Hopefully, we're going to have to have it out with people. Uh, we're going to have to assert our rights and not allow them to vilify us, or if they do vilify us, not allow it to mean anything to us. And part of that is going to become is going to involve becoming uncancelable. Um, now, I say that becoming uncancelable is only possible through individual economic autonomy, uh, which is very hard to achieve under the circumstances we're under. Yes. The, 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 the more you can meet, make your economic base uh, autonomous and independent from these major institutions, that's corporations, of course, academia, uh, the state, Effectively, all of those places which are completely woke um, and you're, from which you're utterly cancelable at any time, no matter what, even what you do during off hours and on mm-hmm. certainly what you do on social media is scrutinized to the nth degree. And so it, it's going to create we're going to have to create autonomous islands uh, of individuals and networks uh, who are able to. Uh, both trade with each other and express themselves with each other. Um, and the, um, uh, the, um, there are some movements afoot to do this. Um, I'm not sure how much uh, currency or how much uh, efficacy they have at this point, uh, but they are at least underway in formation. Uh, I, I think that we need to have networks of what I call thought deviationists, which is, drawn out of my novel Thought Criminal, mm-hmm. where there, there's a network of thought deviationists who are attempting to remain independent and uh, disconnected from collective mind, which is the overarching processing and database system that's controlling the thoughts of the vast majority. So we need to have networks. We, we must network together and create networks of deviationism that allows us to maintain our autonomy and fight against the incursions of this overarching and totally penetrating, uh, system. Yeah. Um, so I, I work in tech and something I identified very early on as being potentially very dangerous is big data. Yeah. The idea that, um, well, in the early days of the internet, data used to be ephemeral, nobody hung on to it, but now all the stuff is being collected, collated, and analyzed by AI algorithms 
yeah. to be able to predict people's patterns and behaviors. Right. Predictive algorithms are definitely, uh, they're, they're out there already. I mean, there's no question about it. And with when 5G is instituted and basically smart cities are effectively erected in most cities, which I think is a foregone conclusion, then the data uh, collection will be uh, ubiquitous. So we'll be inside the internet in effect. There will be no outside of the internet. You will not be going on the internet. You'll be in the internet. <laughs> That's so frightening. And we're close to that anyway, right? Um, when every move is tracked and traced and, co you know, collected and collated, and, and then your behavior is predicted by algorithms and, you know, cyberspace is ubiquitous and all, all, all uh, encompassing, it'll be very difficult to do anything that won't be known. Yeah, that is incredibly dangerous. I, I remember when Snowden broke the news on PRISM and we had the president saying, oh, it's just metadata. We're not listening to your calls. A lot of people don't understand that that metadata defines them as a person. They're mm -hmm. able to go and predict their behaviors because, oh, you get up at this time. Um, you stop for coffee before heading on to work. They know when you leave because you call your spouse. Uh, right. all, all these things. I mean, as much as I love my smartphone, I know it's nothing more than a spying device that yeah. tracks my my habits and trends. Right. I mean, everyone would say with reference to the NSA and Snowden and all that, oh, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, what are you worried about? Exactly. <laughs> the question is, what, when is the question is the ever shifting definition of what's wrong mm -hmm. and. Uh, this could take in social credit scores, social justice credit scores, really, when it comes down to it. I've been saying this for two years, that social justice credit scores are a heartbeat away. And this means that every utterance will be scored, will be part of your score. If you say something under your breath, likely it'll be picked up by uh, some smart assistant or other and this will be known. And uh, these things, I know it sounds really far-fetched in, in this juncture. but I don't I, think it's that far-fetched. I really don't. Yeah, I think it's pretty pretty close. And uh, I've had Siri actually talk back to me after I've sworn or said something and, and basically told me to watch my mouth. And uh, really? people say that didn't happen. Yes, it did. I have a witness that Siri talked through my car speakers admonishing me to watch my language. Wow. Uh, that, that's one thing I, I have turned off is the, uh, voice detection for Siri on my phone. Cause I, I do have an iPhone, but that's it, for exactly that reason. I, I don't like the idea that there's a device that's listening to me, even, even with the Amazon echo, which I am very much against not having despite having one. Cause my wife purchased it. Um, yeah. I, I don't like being around it. I don't want that thing recording what I say yeah, or what I I'm talking one. about. Christmas and I didn't turn it on. Uh, it's just sitting here. I don't, you know, I thought about smashing it just in case it's actually <laughs> passively listening somehow, even though it's not charged. Um, yeah, but even the, yeah, all these things are tracking and tracing us uh, to the nth degree. And the question is what use will be made of this data? Uh, and what will be deemed an infraction somehow? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it looks somewhat hopeful now that some of the states are starting to lift their COVID restrictions, Mississippi, Texas, and elsewhere. I think that's a good sign. 
Okay, so we could have a, um, a, a critical mass of states define or, you know, the Biden, you know, emergency situation that he wants to keep us in. I mean, they want to keep COVID an emergency for an indefinite period of time, I think. I think you're right. Um, and I don't think they really, they, certainly we've been told there will be no return to normal. Um, it's back to normal. We're never going back, according to them. So this means these kind of restrictions forever. And it's very typical that the state doesn't revoke its powers once they gain it. So there was an email. I'm, I'm not sure if you saw it. It uh, allegedly came out of someone who worked in uh, the Canadian Parliament, basically laying out what they're planning on doing with these COVID camps. And, and we're seeing this currently in Canada where they have these hotels that they're calling COVID camps where people coming in are being detained. And it's the idea that uh, if um, they deem that you are dangerous because of COVID, either because you come into contact or you have it, you can p be put into these camps. And the I guess the idea is to have people detained indefinitely if they have, you know, wrong think ultimately and this yes. was laid out in an email and it was even discussed in their parliament and it, it and this is before all this stuff started happening and it seems like you know this email is definitely becoming a reality oh yeah i mean the uk is totally in, uh, down on this entirely i mean what's happening there is beyond frightening i can't believe that the citizens there are are succumbing to this i mean it's just a, a draconian lockdowns and their freedoms are completely gone i mean they're they're i think in april they'll be allowed to sit on a park bench with another human being at this point <laughs> they're ridiculous. not this is unbelievable so i do have to say that we do have in the united states a, a more independent streak and a more a strain of independence that is helping us to some extent. So I don't want to paint this as totally hopeless. I think that we do have a, a tradition and a heritage of, um, shall we say, independence and uh, belief in liberty, which mm -hmm. I think has to be invoked uh, and stirred up and reignited so that we can push back against these these very draconian uh, possibilities that, like we see in the UK and elsewhere. And now in Israel, they're already instituting the medical, the vaccine passport. Really? Uh, yeah, Israel is wow. the, the most, it seems to me to be the test case uh, state entirely for what uh, you can see what a population will succumb to. I'm actually very surprised that Israel would go for that. Yeah, I am too. I'm a very, you know, I'm not an anti-Israeli uh, type uh, person. Like, I'm not. That, that's the typical leftist um, position that you know Israel is evil and all this. Uh, I think Israel has a perfect right to exist. Mm -hmm. um, but interestingly enough, I think because of the way they have been besieged by their neighbors that they have um, been uh, kind of habituated there to a kind of a draconian uh, state that uh, is on the lookout and guard at all times and is subjecting their own population now to the kind of uh, 
surveillance and so forth that they have uh, enacted on on their neighbors out of self-defense. Rightly so, I think they've had to. But I think that it's really a test case for where the states could go. That is frightening. And I know that uh, at least here in the United States, we have two amendments I think are very important to pushing back to this uh, and maintaining our rights, which is the First and Second Amendment. And as we know, those two amendments have been under siege for quite some time. And I know that one of the biggest priorities for Joe Biden is obviously gun control, uh, ultimately leading up to gun confiscations because they want to implement this registry with this new bill that they have. Right. Uh, my understanding is not it's not being supported, so it's a good possibility it won't make it anywhere. So maybe it's DOA, but uh, you know I, I think we definitely have to be very vigilant. And the only way I think that they'll really be able to get implement the Great Reset here in the United States is to get rid of the Second Amendment at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm afraid that what Biden might do on the exec with the on the executive order front with reference to this. Um, yeah banning certain types of rifles, and therefore uh, that's a reason for a rationale for confiscation, uh, banning sales, making it interminable wait time to get, to get, a, uh, to get a weapon, uh, making the, uh, not only that, but incredibly restrictive rules and uh, processes. You know, for example, you, they could be asking your ex-wife whether you should have a gun. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's insane the other thing too i know that they're trying to roll back is the um lawsuit protections that the gun industry has and that's an yeah. easy way of collapsing the industry itself is right. by oh, getting rid of that they're trying to they're trying to starve that industry out of existence mm-hmm. this is being done again through the esg scoring system they're trying to starve them out by cutting off their um funding yeah cutting off their revenue their their ability to raise capital, either from banks or through investors. Uh, so that's definitely on already un- underway. Uh, they're trying to starve these uh, gun makers out of existence. Yeah. And I, I think if we're, if we're not careful, that's that's very much going to happen. Because you don't, you don't necessarily have to roll back the Second Amendment if there's no guns no. or ammo available for you to purchase. That's right. They've tried different prongs here. They've got a multi-prong approach to to erasing our rights. And that's definitely one of them is to destroy gun manufacturing itself so that getting a gun will become impossible or getting ammo could be even if you have guns, getting ammo will be impossible. So this basically renders your your equipment utterly useless if you can't if you have no ammo to supply the weapon with what good is it? It's just a show, a trophy. Um, so these are the kinds of uh, this is a multi-pronged fa- approach to abrogating the Second Amendment. Absolutely. So Joe Biden, I know that John yeah. Kerry said that he's the uh, Great Reset candidate. What is Joe Biden going to do to try and help usher in the Great Reset? Well, he's already done some things, right? He canceled the Keystone Pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, He's also instituting the social justice elements of the Great Reset, which is this strange woke um, implementation of uh, executive orders and laws to try to basically, it's an attack on the majority in effect uh, by virtue of constantly giving money or giving a special treatment to 
to minorities, to immigrants, illegal immigrants, and so on and so forth, and to allow unfettered immigration and uh, without COVID checks and all that. Effectively, they're attacking the, the middle of the, the country. And I don't mean just the middle states, but the middle class. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, anybody who is so-called privileged, and which gets us into the function of wokeness, what's it about? I think wokeness is about it is not, it's, it's about destroying so-called privileged of whites and other dominant quote unquote people and effectively to, to reduce the population to a certain level, everyone down to a certain level. Uh, there's a leveling down going on. And uh, this is being approached through all kinds of means, you know, as I said, point, uh, dribbling out money to, for example, farmers based on race or minority mm-hmm. status, some sort of historical persecution or whatever. Uh, you Generally, the idea here is to just level the population in some way. They don't want any possibility for, you know, a kind of middle class that's based on merit. Uh, and they're saying it's not based on merit. Everything you have is a function of privilege. Yeah. Which is you've ridiculous. Done, you've done nothing for it. Mm-hmm. So you don't really deserve it. Therefore, you should abdicate it in effect. S- similarly, rights, you know, you don't deserve them. They're actually privileges. This is, this is the tricky thing about using this word privilege. Privileges can be eradicated. So rights they have a hard time with. Yeah. Right. Rights are supposedly in, intrinsic to the person. So if you call something a privilege and then you can wipe it out, with justification. So I think this is the the mode of operation that's underway. I think wokeness is not just some blue haired, you know, many years ago, it was not that many actually, when 2016, when I came out against social justice in the university and all that, people are like, oh, this is just a a few blue haired kids on campus here completely exaggerating what the the prevalence of this social justice and its meaning and all Mm -hmm. that. I said, wait, you'll see that this whole society is going to succumb to this social justice malarkey. And in fact, it's happened. It is. We saw it last year. And because it's only a matter of time before those people with that ideology make it into the workplace. They're in the workplace. They're in the state. They're in corporations. They're in major institutions and they're running everything. Uh, And I don't think that the corporations are caving to it, as some people say. They're actually embracing it because it functions to their benefit. As I said, it helps to create this kind of de facto monopoly situation in which they're controlling all production and everyone else is reduced to universal basic income. Yeah, it was, which is funny because I know that you mentioned this and this is something I, I, I kind of noticed over the years. Back in uh, back in 2000, it was around Thanksgiving and I was in Plano, Texas. And if you've ever been there. I was there with a friend and we're like, holy crap, this is like corporate feudalism. You have like the large corporate headquarters and around the headquarters was a bunch of um, basically you you had your medieval village. You know, there's these yeah. subdivisions that were very cookie cutter. I mean, there were nice houses, nice big houses, but they all looked alike. There was no personality to them. Right. And it, and it felt like. You know, this weird kind of corporate feudalism. And I know that you mentioned it with neo-feudalism, but that's something that 
I, I, I mentioned that and I kind of observed and forgotten about it, but you bring it back up again. And I, I yes. definitely think this is happening. Yes. And you saw this recently in Colorado where the governor there is allowing, he wants to allow corp, uh, big tech corporations to establish independent states within. Are you serious? Colorado. Yes. <laughs> wow. So you'd have your Apple and you'd have your, you know, your Google Village and, and these would have their own rules and so forth. They would be autonomous states within Colorado. That is insane. And I, I remember South Park kind of making fun of this last season with the whole thing with Jeff Bezos and the, the worker consumer. Yeah. The whole idea that we all work for, for Amazon at this point and, uh, and we buy their products. Yeah, effectively we do. Um I just had a reader chide me because my books are sale on Amazon. And I said, listen, I don't, I can't control where the publisher wants to sell the books, but I have, I sell them independently as well. So if you want to, if you want to go around to Amazon, you can come directly to my website and buy them there, but I'm not plugging my books so much as saying that they're, you know, I've tried to ev evade this hegemony, <clears throat> this Amazon hegemony, this, incredible Amazonization of everything. Um, and, uh, it's, it's possible, but it's difficult. Yeah. I know I, I'm making a very concerted effort to purchase a lot less from Amazon. Obviously it's, it's super convenient mm -hmm. and it, it seems like either, you know, you have several options when it comes to big box stores, but when it comes to mom and pop, it's a little bit more difficult. I have since found other places I can buy certain things that I'm looking for. Yeah. Specifically when it comes to prepping and whatnot. Right. Um, that way I'm not relying on Amazon. And, and quite frankly, I don't want to rely on Amazon. I don't want to give them any more money because of what is going on with the Great Reset and, and the things that they're pushing for. So ultimately what this comes down to is how do we push back against this? Yeah, I think I, I sort of alluded to this before, and that is to, to create these networks of marketing and, uh, you know, commercial interaction between networks. Um, there's a, a movement afoot. I'm, I'm, the name is escaping me. I, I've joined uh, one of these cells, uh, freedom cells. Yeah, freedom cells. Um, there are these freedom cells that are forming. That's the kind of uh, movement to... Uh, for uh, libertarians and others, but mostly libertarians, to, to band together in these cells for exchange and support. Um, I think this is a short-term uh, a short-term fix. Uh, the long-term is that we're going to have to, um, well, I mean, we're just going to have to assert our individual autonomy more. Uh, and, uh, for the individual, I think, and I don't speak in mass terms because that's leftism mm -hmm. and I don't like mass movements even, um, I would say the individual needs to find a way to become independent as independent as you possibly can economically yeah. speaking, because without economic rights, you don't have any rights. Yeah, it, it, it sure seems that way. And that's something I know I'm working towards because, um, since I talk out, you know, about the stuff and, you know, I push back against wokeness on my channel and I do these videos for unsafe space. I know at some point in time I'm going to be target and I'm probably going to lose my job as a result. So I'm, I'm trying to become, you know, financially independent and not have to rely on a day job. It's just more there for convenience and having more money. Yeah. But at, at this point, I also see if, if they, if we get 
what they want for 2030, where they have, you know, you own nothing, you have no privacy and you've never been happier. I also see the more kind of liberty minded people and independent thinking people fleeing probably to the more rural areas and establishing their own communities. Yes, definitely. Uh, there's going to have to be, um, um, I think, secessionism or, you know, de- de- decentralization of communities is definitely one definite viable option uh, and a kind of, uh, you know, kind of, de- you know, decentralizing and getting uh, seceding in effect somehow. Uh, but you can't do it alone. You have to have a network at least. Um, so networks of deviation, if you will, as mm-hmm. I put it. Yeah. I don't have all the answers, I'm afraid, Ian. I can't. Yeah. I'm not. If I did, I'd be, uh, you know, I'd be Jeff Bezos. <laughs> no, I well, that's the thing I think we're all trying to figure out. And that's the, the main thing I've been telling my audience is to you, we need to become activists for our rights. We need to yeah. get involved with local government and to push back against these policies. That, that seems like the only way to me. Yeah. Or and and fighting back and becoming independent at the same time, because. Uh, in the meanwhile, we're all canceled. I'm not, I think I'm basically uncancelable at this point. Uh, but I'm sure they could target me in ways that I haven't thought of yet. Banking. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if the cell phone companies become woke, uh, they could ban you from access to their network. It's possible. Uh, so not only, you know, platforms like parlor getting thrown off by Amazon and Apple, and Google Play, it could be individuals getting thrown out of their banks. And this has happened. Yeah, uh, we've seen it already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, being deplatformed from basically all the infrastructure that you rely on to survive, this is possible. So I think also I would suggest the cryptocurrency movement is important, although I'm not as invested in it as I'd like to be. I wish I had been. Um, but cryptocurrency is definitely a it seems to me to be um, somewhat of a viable um, resi- form of resistance. Yeah, I think so. Uh, that's one thing I've been telling my audience too is um, look into crypto. Again, I'm not a financial advisor, but um, also gold and silver, I think, is also a good place to put your money as well. Yeah, it's not performing as well lately, but it's better than, I mean, it's not a currency, but it is value. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you can't really trade it. Um, for goods and services in an easy way. But if digital currency comes in, a universal centralized digital currency comes into play, uh, that means they'll have knowledge of every transaction and also it will, there are certain uh, producers, certain vendors will not be allowed to receive cryptocurrency. I'm not, I mean, to be received digital currency. If you're not an approved vendor, you could be shut out from the digital currency. And, and this could be very devastating. So yeah. we need to have things, infrastructure in place in advance of that. Yeah, the idea, yeah, this is something I've been looking into recently too uh, with the digital dollar. They, I know that's something they're pushing for. They're trying to get rid of Bitcoin. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's the idea that they're able to basically raid your bank account. Oh, you owe this much in taxes or we're going to fine you. And I mean, they, they did this to Count Dankula. He got fined and he said, no, I'm not going to pay it. And they took the money from his account. Yeah, that's what they do. Um, and it, 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 with digital currency, they could t- take it right out of your bank and they could take it out of all your transactions otherwise. Plus, they'll know every transaction they make. Also, there's a possibility of negative interest rates so that you'll you'll be losing money 
they'll be charging you to keep your money. And therefore, this will this will stimulate immediate spending. So everybody will basically be on a shoestring budget, but also they'll have to spend at a at a higher rate so that their money isn't lost through through um, negative interest rates. This is also a very strong possibility with digital currency. How can they do that? I mean, how is that even legal? Well. Um, the banks can institute it. If you have a central bank, which we do, but if it's, if it's centralized even more such that, uh, maybe becomes global, uh, then in fact they can just, they can charge negative interest rates. It's possible. Well, well, that's all the questions I have for you. Is there anything, um, anything you'd like to add? Uh, well, help me from, from, uh, but help me by buying my books and uh, Thought Criminal, I think, is right in line with all of this stuff. Um, um, and uh, it's a novel. It's a very fast read, and I think it's quite enjoyable. Um, I think it's accessible. Um, there's been I've had some critiques of it. Every everything you try to do is somebody's going to criticize it. Uh, but uh, I think it's uh, almost like a blueprint for resistance. Uh, at this point, it's almost like f- fiction is imitating life is imitating fiction at this point. <laughs> it really is. You know, so um, I didn't wrote it just, you know, last summer. And um, by the time I came out, everything I said in the book was already basically happening. Uh, so there's this idea of a virus. There's a virus. But it turns out the virus is actually nanobots that connect to the neurons of the neocortex. Uh, attach themselves to the neocortex and, and then can, can conduct information flows between the subject and and collective mind, and likewise to plant your thinking with the correct thoughts, and, <laughs> and likewise utterly threaten and really erode erase your individual selfhood. Um, so the idea is to stay disconnected and. Uh, that's what this band of thought deviationists is attempting to do. It all sounds very um, Demolition Man to me. <laughs> What's that? The movie Demolition Man. It seems like the future. That's what we're heading towards. Yeah, see, I haven't read. I don't pay a lot of attention to popular culture, not because I'm a snob, but because I just don't have time. You know, from what was kind of like the things that I put on myself to do, um, writing constantly and reading. So... Yeah, people reference different things, and I'm not sure. And I think that's kind of better because I don't want to be replicating anything. I don't know what other people have said. I'm just saying, showing what my vision oh, is. No, it's um, not not because of your book. It's just the future that we're heading towards with like a social justice. And it, oh yeah, it, it, the movie came out back in the '90s and has Sylvester Stallone and um, Wesley Snipes in it. And it's just it's a great movie, but. In a, in a weird sort of way, it, it seems like it's the uh, future we're heading towards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think The Matrix was one of the greatest uh, movies and uh, actually pieces of art in the last 30 years. And uh, the only difference is that we're living in a physical matrix and, and our bodies aren't batteries, but they're actually pieces of data on the Internet. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's curious that way. Yeah, it really is. Well, Dr. Rechtenwald, I, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. My pleasure. It's great to talk to you.
Well, that concludes my interview with Dr. Rechtenwald. If you'd like to learn more about him, you can head to his website, michaelrechtenwald.com, or you can go and check out his book, Thought Criminal, which you can go and purchase off of Amazon. Thank you very much. This is Ian signing off. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. The following co-conspirators have confessed to crime think. For your protection, contact with these individuals is strictly prohibited. Did you know that liberty is just a dog whistle for, insert evil ideology? If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Oh no, please do not protest against racism. Anything but that. I beg you. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.